Welcome to the 40 Under 40 podcast with your hosts, Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. They are two entrepreneurs who speak to other entrepreneurs under the age of 40, so you can learn from their successes and failures along their journeys of building businesses. 40 Under 40 podcast hopes to educate, motivate, and inspire people to pursue their dreams of starting a business, regardless of age. And now, here are your hosts, Caitlin and AJ. Welcome back, folks. We're at season two of the 40 Under 40 podcast. Oh my gosh. It's season two, launch, pilot, whatever you want to call it. Excited. Caitlin, we've been doing this for over a year now. I'm so proud of us. Proud of us. And I'm proud of us for launching a season two that's going to be a little bit different. Some of the same, some new stuff. Yeah, we're going to keep, just so you folks are up up and informed, updated and informed on what we're doing, we're going to keep the same uh, format with the interviews, but also sometimes it's just going to be Caitlin and I chatting on here and talking about business issues and startup issues and uh, yeah, trends and whatnot. We're excited. The stuff that matters or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe, maybe we'll do some video sometime. I don't know, Caitlin, if you're open to it, but I gotta, I gotta lose some weight before this happens. (laughs) (laughs) I know I've been, I've been trying, I've been trying to eat some salads and be healthier. Gotta love a good salad. And, (laughs) you know, I feel like I'm also really concerned these days about like where my food comes from, like getting meats from sustainable farmers and, you know, grass fed and, and and organic vegetables, stuff like that. Well, um, it's good that we're talking about this because our next guest, Zane, this is Zane. what he does. It's amazing how we just seamlessly transitioned into our next guest. <laughs> we do that well. <laughs> so our guest today is Zane Shock. He's named a top Houston innovator to know, and he's the co-founder and CEO of Dream Harvest. Houston-based entrepreneur whose team has made major strides over the past few months in the Houston innovation scene. So Dream Harvest is a vertical farming pioneer founded to combat the increasing problem of food and resource waste through enhanced sustainable farming using 95% less water and zero pesticides. Absolutely incredible. That's amazing. I mean, they sell to Whole Foods. They've recently started working with sweet green stores across Texas. So interesting. I'm really excited to learn more. Yeah. He raised 50. What happened? That was really loud. It was like, oh, sorry. Okay. I'll just say, uh, as well as some sweet green stores across Texas. Super excited to bring him on. Yeah. I can't wait. He's also raised $50 million. We're going to talk about that. And I read a write up in the wall street journal that he was in recently. So yeah, let's just bring him on. Zane, welcome. Thank you. It's really great to be here. I love, I love your, I know listeners can't see, but you have a great background going on and great shirt that says Kayling me softly. So I think that's a great (laughs) introduction into you and your business. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Um, We've, we've come a long way. It's, it's pretty wild, but um, yeah, behind me, there's a picture of our farm, uh, a vertical farm in Houston. And uh we, you know, it's really cool what we do and we love, I love kind of having in the background where I am, it's kind of my comfort zone. So, um, and then my shirt, we have really fun names that it took, uh, it's part of the whole startup business journey, but we thought it'd be fun to incorporate cool names into our products and killing me softly is one of them. 
<laughs> I love it. I think it's perfect. Well, let's kick it off with, if you could just give us a brief overview of what Dream Harvest is and tell us how you, how you got started with it. Yeah, sure. Um, so I don't know how brief I can be, but uh, Dream Harvest, so we're at um, a vertical indoor farm. Uh, we grow greens hydroponically. Um, and so we, we use 95% less water than an outdoor farm. Our space is enclosed, so it allows us to not use pesticides that can be really harmful for the environment and for insects and ecosystems. Um, and then we can grow locally, really close to the customer. All the energy we use is wind energy. So uh, basically, you know, we do a lot of things. Those are a few of the things that we do. And our whole goal is to try to make farming better for the planet. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, 80% of the water that we use in this country is agricultural. And if anyone on this call is from California or uh, who listens to this podcast, they will like scream at that number because <laughs> we're, we're running out of water, right? Yeah. In California, it's, it's, it's like, true. it's terrible. I mean, I don't know if you guys have experience with this on a daily basis, but you know, whenever um, I'm in California or flying out of California, I see like all this desert land and then there's, there's lush green farms in the middle of this, this desert area. And all the water is being sucked into those farms, which, you know, it made sense for a long time to do farming centrally in California. It's the climate that you can do it. Mm -hmm. But as the climate is changing, it's just so hard on California to be providing so much of the country's produce. And we're just, as a nation, we're sucking the water out of that land. So, um, and then the other thing that happens with centralized farming is that we end up throwing away a third of the produce that we grow before people even have a chance to eat it. So if you think about that, you're growing stuff in California, you're using 80% of the water in California, by the way, also 80% of California's water is agricultural. So then you're growing it and then you have to harvest it from fields, move it from fields into a processing center of some sort where it gets washed or packaged or whatever. Then it goes onto trucks. It goes from trucks across the country to other states to distribution centers, then eventually to the store. But when it gets on the store shelf, even before you see it on the shelf, a third of it's been thrown away oh in that God. process. So, and these are USDA numbers. It's like 30%. It's a really high figure. And um, we've got to be better. We can't be using that many resources yeah. and throwing away a third of it. And so this is like the whole inspiration behind Dream Harvest is the, the toll that our approach to farming takes on our planet um, and on our resources. Uh, so we've always been trying to do it better. I'm happy to talk about the origin story. There's like a, a Britney Spears concert involved and all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> we love Britney. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, we'd love to get into that. But I, I'm just curious, uh, you're a social entrepreneur, right? You would consider yourself that. So can you talk a little bit about like social entrepreneurship and how they, that may be different compared to regular entrepreneurship? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you say that. I, I don't often like, I don't often think of myself in those terms specifically, but um, it makes total sense. You know, what we're doing is we're trying to do business better for people and for the planet. If you go to our website, our tagline, it just says for the planet straight up. Um, and, and that's for the planet and for all the people on the planet. And we got to do things better. Um, and we think, I believe that people are willing to choose a product or choose a business that provides a service to you that's doing it better for the planet and better for people. Um, Love it. And 
I don't know. Do you guys feel the same way? I mean, I think so. Absolutely. I'm yeah. Especially now I feel like I'm all about that. Like looking where things have been, like if they're sustainably farmed, if they're coming from like local farmers, good practices. So at least for me, at least like food and you know, that type of thing. Yeah. We're becoming more aware for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Our generation, I think. So, so important. Um, how something is produced, what the resources are that go into the, into them. You know, I, it's funny. I was, uh, it's just probably not the right example, but I was, um, a couple of years ago, I was in Silver Lake in LA and I went to, to, I was walking with my friends and I saw this cool pair of sunglasses in the store. I was like, Oh, these are awesome. How much are these? The lady was like $350. And I was like, are they made of like recycled metal or like, what's the deal? She's like, yeah. you know, they're like, they're like a one-of-a-kind design handmade in Japan. I was like, hey, that's really cool. But like, at least like do something more sustainable with that product. Like if I'm going to spend something, I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't mind, like not that 350 is like obscene number for sunglasses. I know people have more expensive sunglasses, but um, for me, it was unless it's doing something for the planet, if that makes right. sense. Oh, exactly. Totally. It's a yeah. huge factor in purchasing. So I know you we read up on your background a little bit, like how you went from reporting from journalism to starting a company. So we'd love to hear how, how this happened, how you became an entrepreneur um, and about Brittany. Including the Brittany <laughs> story. We want to hear the Brittany story. Really. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So, you know, I always was concerned with, um, with how we operate as a society, um, how, our systems operate, how we care for those less fortunate than us, how businesses operate to, in, in, with regard to taking care of their people on the planet. It's always been something important to me. So journalism was something I was really drawn to um, growing up. And you know, a little bit came from my family. You know, my parents always had NPR blasting in the house or in the car. And um, my grandfather would always like give me little articles and say, hey, read this. And I kind of became attuned to it and, and thought, oh, this is really interesting. Um, and it's, it's a way to make a difference in my opinion. Um, and so we, you know, I, I was really passionate about it and pursued journalism in school and went to become a journalist. Um, I think you guys are in the category of journalism as well. So I'm, I'm kind of speaking to the choir uh, a little mm-hmm. bit, but you guys, um, have done a little bit of the same thing, which is, you know, we're telling people stories that, that can inspire and that can make a difference. And, sometimes you're reporting on things that reveal, you know, major problems in society that need to change and just injustices that need to change. So I became really into it. First though, I reported on sports when I was at, uh, in at USC in LA. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I was a sports reporter, uh, at the daily Trojan. And then I went and did like some cool internships. Um, but then after that, I decided, you know, new news was probably more for me. It was more impact related. Um, not to downplay the impact of sports journalism. There's a lot of great stories there of triumphs and struggles from a lot of people. Um, and, but I felt like write, writing about other ills in society was really important to me. So I got into that and eventually it was like some papers of the LA Times and then like community papers there. And then I went to Houston, Houston Chronicle, uh, did a lot on crimes, courts. Uh, I covered a dinosaur dig once. Um, Wow! Yeah, I was. uh, I actually, you know, they had these like huge pipeline protests. Um, not not so different from the Dakota Access one. There was the Keystone XL one. I covered that. Um, in Texas, and you know, went and interviewed people who were like up in trees. Like, we will not get this tree tree down. 
and then uh, awesome. you know all kinds of stuff. And then eventually, well, healthcare, NASA has covered the last um, last spatial launch, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then I got a job at Bloomberg covering the oil industry. Really exciting, covering energy and the environment. It's kind of like the biggest thing you can cover in Houston. And those companies are so intentionally obscure. Like they will try to be as mysterious, like as boring as possible. They don't want right. you to look into them at all. So all the news is extremely boring. And just trying to dig into those was really interesting for me, cool challenge. And like that's how I started to become more attuned to things like hydroponic farming. I saw some stuff about it, was vaguely aware of it. And then one of my friends from college who I was on the Bhangra dance team with at, at USD, we were both uh, dancers and he, was like, oh, um, I'm, he told me he'd been doing hydroponics and he was now doing chemical engineering in, in, in Houston. And I had organized this big trip to go to a Britney Spears concert in Vegas. I was like, guys, let's do it. It'll be really fun. Britney Spears, half my friends were like, yes, yes. half my friends were like Vegas, half were like Britney Spears. So <laughs> we all went and um, I got people on board and, uh, and on the flight, you know, by the way, everyone was like, why is Zane organizing a trip to Vegas? He doesn't even drink. He doesn't do any of this stuff. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> I was like, but Britney Spears will be really fun. So, um, so we're on this flight and I turned to my friend. I'm like, hey, you know, I saw this. I remember you did this hydroponic stuff. Um, tell me about that. You know, I heard everyone should eat organic everything. Um, and you're saying hydroponics. Why is that? And, you know, I didn't know this at the time. But um, later I learned that organic farming outside you use double the resources to generate half the yield mm. of a conventional farm wow. like double the water double all the resources it's pretty insane Dang. but there are advantages to organic farming because you're you're using compost or you're using all compostable materials and everything is plant-based or you know all naturally derived there's no synthetics so the really good things about organic farming exist but Organic farms still use organic pesticides, for example. Like they're naturally derived, but they're pesticides and they can be pretty harsh on ecosystems. And so he was talking to me about this stuff and he said, you know, hydroponics, you can use 95% less water than outdoor farm. You can grow locally anywhere. Um, using the environment, you keep the pests out so you don't have to spray anything. So all of these things really, you know, spoke to me, especially as a Californian, you know, I'm a Los Angeles native and I was really drawn to it because of the water issue. And yeah, I was really, really passionate that about sense. the fact that we're just using so much water and we're, we're so scarce on water. Um, and so the more we talked about it, the more it sounded really cool. And then, and then I remembered my experience as a produce consumer. So in California, we're lucky, you know, we have all these great farmer's markets. And I remember growing up, going to the farmer's market, having great produce, with, you know, with my yeah. family, they'd take me there. Grocery stores were great. Houston, I get there, I go to get um, a five ounce clamshell spinach, it's pre-washed, I, I, it's already expired on the shelf. I'm like, wait, what? Wow. why is it already expired? Sometimes it's like expiring two days out and I'll grab it and I open it and it's already slimy and steamy. And I'm like, why yeah. is that? That's weird. Yeah. Later I learned, it doesn't matter where you are in the country, even in California, people have that experience. Yep. So it's like, it speaks to the inefficiencies of our food system, right? right? Yeah. That you're in the place where it's grown and you're still getting this issue. Seriously, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. So I was like, wait, wait, wait. That stuff's all grown in California and shipped over here. Okay, we're losing all this time. 
we're, we're getting all the spoilage from shelf life, et cetera, uh, from, from the delay of, of uh, delivering it from the time it's harvested. Um, this is really interesting. We should really do this. Like it's so efficient, it's good for the planet. So we both started getting really hyped on it. The whole time we're in Vegas, we're just like planning this thing. We're like writing things on napkins. Nice. We're talking it out with during the concert. Like <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, it was, Brittany was very inspiring. That's so like before and after, you know, like the the morning after, we're all at like a brunch and we're like talking. Me and a couple friends and him, and we um we actually came up with uh well, one of the people who was there. She ended up being really instrumental. Her name's Michelle. Uh, Michelle Hashmi, she was uh, huge in our business in terms of designing our brand, our logo, helping us with these shirts and like some of the names. Uh, so it was all all kind of inspired by this like random trip uh, with a bunch of friends and you're doing something goofy and then you have some smart creative people there and you just it just snowballed. So it was really fun. Sounds like I got to make more trips to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so Zane, how, how did you go from the planning to then, I know you started this out of your garage, classic entrepreneurship story. So like, talk about that transition, what that was like, and, and then you've grown over the last five to six years tremendously. And especially, so. yeah. And coming from not being an entrepreneur, like that's gotta yeah. have been a huge shift. You know, it was wild. Um, growing up, my dad actually tried starting a couple of businesses and he failed both times. So I, I think my mom always drilled into me, just like, just get a job for someone else, get a job mm-hmm. for someone else. Um, and it, cause it's, it's traumatic, you know, and you're like, you yeah. don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I, I had always kind of pushed it out of my mind, the idea of entrepreneurship, even though my grandfather was a very successful entrepreneur and started, started a business very successfully, but I, I, having that proximity to my, my dad and his failures with, with business or his learnings, I guess, just to say with business, it was really like, I didn't even think about it. Right. Then, but when this happened, it, it was just like so exciting. And I, I just felt like I knew it was what I wanted to do. I knew that like journalism was great, but it was using a part of my skills. And some of the best parts of my job in journalism was building a team around a project, executing, executing a, a vision of a project. Um, so I, uh, I became excited about it and I thought this is something I could really do. Um, but I had no business experience other than the fact that I was a business reporter for two to three years. So I was basically okay. studying businesses. It was like, it was like being in business school through like all these case studies that I was seeing. And then I also had a minor That's in business great. at SC. So I had like some like accounting and like marketing uh, classes that I had taken. So that was a little helpful. Um, I just paused for a second. My wife, who's also an entrepreneur, um, her name's Arshine, and she she has a business that she started, and it, it grew out of her time in her through her MBA career, uh, through her MBA journey at Duke, but uh, or even before that. But hers is related to the environment as well, and like you know, she uses waste to produce graphene, which is a highly valuable material. So we kind of bonded over that. But That's very so cool. different, yeah, different entrepreneurial experiences, right? She had the whole like incubator experience had won some like awards and grants um we just kind of knew this was a great idea and we started talking with friends who were in business so one of my friends is a venture capitalist i bounced a lot of ideas around him we started fleshing out the business and thinking okay this really has legs like we know there's a problem with produce we know there's a problem with waste growing farming hasn't been really advanced substantially in like decades or centuries you could say and 
we thought there's a real opportunity. So the first thing we did was after we talked it through and figured out the product, we thought, okay, we know we, we can do this because Harmeet, my co-founder has like the experience in hydroponics, but will people buy this? So we started going to the grocery stores and we, we used kind of like the journalism techniques of just like calling through and eventually you find the right person. And you're like, hey, um, I'm, I'm doing this thing like, oh, hydroponics, you know, we've heard of that before. A lot of people doing it. Um, maybe talk with us in a few months. We're like, okay, sure, sure, no problem. Okay. We had our own jobs, so we weren't like, you know, too nervous yet. And then they were like, well, out of curiosity, what are you going to sell? And we said, we're going to do these pre-washed like mixes of salad. Um, but they'll be locally grown here hydroponically in Houston. And they said, can you meet with us on Monday? This is exactly what we've been looking for. Like, oh, wow. No way. So this is in 2015. So we, um, we, we went to meet in Austin with people at Whole Foods. We met with another grocery store at their headquarters. Um, and this is HDB um, in, in yeah, yeah. San Antonio. Wow. And we talked, we talked with them and they said, you know, yeah, um, what you're doing is exactly what we're looking for. It's local, wow. it's sustainable, it's pesticide free. If you do this, we will definitely buy it. And we were like, okay, what? Um, we yeah. walked out of that meeting. We we're like, oh my God, we got to do this. And we're like high-fiving. We do that whole like, you know, football player, like elbow yeah, elbow yeah, yeah. thing. <laughs> we're like jumping up and down the parking lot. We're walking to the car. We're like, be cool, be cool, be cool. So, um, yeah, we thought we had to do this. And we, um, we went out to family and friends and we said, we got to quit our jobs. We, we need to raise some money to do this. And so we, uh, we felt one of the reasons we felt confident about it was not only the response we got from the grocery stores early and on, yeah, early on, and then the experience that my co-founder had in hydroponics, which, you know, it was helpful. Um, you still go through a journey of ups and downs and, and, and failures and learning. So that wasn't like necessarily a silver bullet, but um, it was also, we had some prior career experience. Like mm. I, I felt that I had a good enough career in journalism that if we failed, I could go back and, you know, find right. something. And right. You could fall back on him. it. Yeah. It wasn't like a lot of people maybe start their business right out of college. And it's the first thing they do. Um, and not, I'm not knocking that. And there, there's definitely growth opportunity and potential there. And a lot of people have great ideas, but we had experience working in businesses and then studying businesses. And mm. then we had careers to fall back on if anything happened. So we were like, okay, let's go. And we quit our jobs. We moved into a suburban home in like outside of Houston. And it's like in the Katy area. Nice. Um, and we uh, we started growing actually on a dining room table first that we like. We didn't oh have a table. Gosh. We built the table using stuff from Home Depot. I have like a picture of us like grabbing all the stuff from Home Depot. <laughs> oh, I love we, it. We this works. The, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We built the table. We built the system on this on this table, and we started growing. And then um, we started getting that down through several iterations. You know, different color, different types of lights we use, and then we moved into a garage. We started growing in our garage. We're, we were renting this house from like, uh, you know, a homeowner and he came by every now and then see these like purple lights shining out the windows. He's like, He's like what drugs are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like breaking bad situation. Yeah. I was like, it's kale. I promise you it's kale. And he was like, He's like, that's I'm what like, they all say. Yeah, I'm like, try this, try this, try this. He's like, okay, cool. And you could tell he was like, not buying it. Um, 
but you know he's he now he's he's linked with me on linkedin so he knows it's a real thing now Boom. it's legit yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway that's the origin story that's wow awesome. that is so cool how long were you sorry just really quick how long were you um doing that like without making mm. profit i guess okay so you know we are still in the early stage journey and i'm not shy about that we we're still not making a profit so it takes a long time and we just you know, we just raised $50 million recently, which was a huge step for our business. Um, we've hired some new talent, which is awesome. But for us to really make a profit, we'll have to do a, a large scale automated farm, which is, we're building now in Houston, which is really exciting. Um, but um, yeah, we were in the dining room table phase for like three months. Then we were in the garage phase for like six months. Then we moved into a warehouse and we started growing in a warehouse. And there's just two of us at the time. So we're really like, we're we set up the whole system ourselves. Like we, we got some help with the construction of the space, building walls and stuff. Then we, we put in racking, we put in our irrigation system, we installed the lights. We were feeding all the plants ourselves, like making sure the right nutrients were in the water, the right rotations were happening, harvesting the plants, feeding them, packaging them, wow. um, driving them around ourselves to the stores. I myself was in the store doing the demos and the whole foods. I would be like, at the store, like, hey, you know, when we eventually got in Whole Foods, I'd be there and I'd be there, it, like showing people the product and having them taste it. And like, oh, what do you do with this company? I'm like, um, you know, I'm the co-founder. This is our, this is our business. Um, eventually we hired people, but yeah. So from the time we started in 20, March, 2015, we started hiring people. We started selling Whole Foods in 2017 and we hired people later that year. Can you walk us through the process? And so if like our listeners are like, oh, how would I even get into a grocery store? Like, what would you do? Who would you start with? Was it a cold call? Would you just walk in? Can you kind of walk us through the tactical approach that you that you had originally? Yeah, I wish I was more tactful. Um, I, I think we uh, we kind of did the cold call approach. We did. We did that. We just called and we finally got to the right person. And then we had that positive response. So for us, we were lucky. It was something they were really looking for. Um, since then, I've learned there's a lot of different routes to do it. Um, people, you can go to conferences. You can talk with brokers. There's all kinds of advisors that help you like to get into the grocery stores. Um, but we, yeah, we talked with um, the buyers and we just got, got some coaching from them because they really wanted our product. So I would ask them, okay, well, we want to provide it. What do we need to do like from a food safety perspective? And they would say, okay, you need to meet these food safety standards. Um, okay. And then we would just like, we would study the other products in the store. I would study their labels and their packaging and say, okay, we should, we should do exactly what's on their label on their package just yeah. with, mm, with smart. our information. Um, no so, sense reinventing the way. Because they're obviously compliant already. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, we, we didn't know a lot and there were just two of us. But the thing that we, that I knew really well, which, you know, I know a lot of people, are shy about this type of stuff, but what's always served me well in my career in journalism and even in business is, you know, imitation. Um, and I don't say that in a way of like copying. I say that in a way like when I was a reporter, you know, initially, I think when I was learning, people want to be really creative with their writing, but there's like a structure that you read in like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal that people do. And I was like, okay, those reporters are writing their stories like this. These are the types of people they're talking to. I'm going to try to do what they're doing, but with my right. Story. It makes right? sense because like yeah. it's working. So why yeah. mess with and, it? And people enjoy that. And then if I build that foundation um, of those fundamentals that those other journalists have, then I can start being like creative too. Cause I know I'm doing something that works and that like 
the customer wants or the, and that I, I know is right. like accepted. Um, yeah. And that I know delivers information well, because I love it. Like, for example, when I'm reading that news story, I'm like, oh, this is a really good story, really good information. So that's what you did in business too. Anything we didn't know, I was not shy about saying, I don't know how to do this. Like, who can I talk with that will help me learn this thing? Mm -hmm. Or how can I like do something like this other person is doing it, like this other company is doing it. So people are kind of opposed to imitation sometimes, but I've always found that it's successful to, to build your fundamental skills. And then from there, you know, you can, you can learn and grow and become your own thing. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Can you talk a little bit about like how now you're distributing it? Like how many stores do you have like a trucking company you're working with? Is it refrigerated? Like that part of it seems like it could be complicated as well. Yeah. So for produce, you have a refrigerated product, at least for our, our leafy greens products. So we sell these leafy greens mixes like spring mix, for example, it's pre-washed and it needs to be stored at 30, 36 degrees is what we try to keep it at. So, um, that means that initially, you know, we couldn't just be delivering in our cars. For example, we had to, we actually had to rent a refrigerated van and we were delivering it ourselves and driving around to all the local stores. So first we worked it out with local delivery. And then eventually um, we are now in the whole Southwest region for Whole Foods. So we sell to every Whole Foods in wow. Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas. Yeah, it's pretty Congratulations. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. And we also sell the sweet green um, in, in Houston and in Texas broadly. So we, um, we deliver to central um, distribution centers for those people, and then they redistribute to their stores. Um, this is, I think, you know, personally, I think it's kind of a relic of the centralized farming system, our centralized food system, but that's how our grocery stores work now. They get everything from central distribution centers and warehouses that go out to the stores. So um, that's what we do to feed into their system. So what are your, what are your goals for the company? Like five years out, 10 years out, where do you see this going? Where do you hope it'll go? Do you hope to sell and leave? Do you hope to stay involved? Like, have you thought about that? I'm sure. Yeah. I, I mean, well, my main thing has always been impact. You know, I think for throughout my career, that's been the common thread and it's what I really care about. And I think what we care about as a business, we really stand for, for the people and for the planet and trying to do better. Um, so as if we can impact more people, um, that's what I want to do. And those are the partners that I want to have. You know, I remember we were talking with some investors and some investors don't ask me much, many questions about impact, but some investors do. And one said, you know, this is great what you're doing in the Whole Foods customer and, you know, Sweetgreen, they're buying your stuff, but those are the high end customers. How do you have impact where, you know, people are going in the Burger King and they're having your greens because it's better for the environment. How do you do that? And, that's my goal. That's my, my goal is to have broad impact because the way we farm outside is not sustainable. We cannot do it yeah. like that anymore. No. Um, it's just, it's too much water being used. And even today in California, there's not enough water for the farming to happen anymore. They're, they're even saying the governor is getting involved. All these agencies are saying, we're not going to be able to release this much water to the farms anymore because we just don't have it. So how are we going to get our food? It becomes a really critical problem. And we're, we're at a time where it's a real problem now. You know, five years ago, I didn't think it'd be a problem for, for like 10, 20 years, but it's a problem today. So we have to solve it. Everything's, um, yeah, happening now. Yeah, so, I, so, yeah, go ahead. Are you meeting with government officials as well, trying to get them to buy into think, this more? Yeah, I think, 
I personally have not met with very many. Um, I think it's partly uh, the nature of like still being a small business, but as we bring on more people to do things like drive delivery vans and stuff, then uh, I'll be doing more of that, but um, which we, we do have that now. But um, we, there are some of my peers uh, across the industry who are getting really involved with government agencies and senators and other politicians and trying to encourage Good, them, yeah. hey, this is this is the way we need to go. And we, we not only need to do better with this type of farming, but we need to bring farmers around to doing this type of farming too, because it cannot be done the way we're doing outside. If, we, if you can use 95% less water, you got to do that. If you can't really grow in the environment in California anymore, because there's not enough water and it's too hot and the climate is too extreme, we can't do that anymore either. We know we can grow locally close to the customer using the farming technologies that our company, other companies use. We've got to find a way to do it more efficiently. And I think we're getting there every year. We're getting more and more efficient. Um, we're already efficient enough for like the high-end customers. And my goal is to move more efficiency for the large scale. And, and then eventually into other crops too. Yeah. We're experimenting with the like myriad crops. We have uh, tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, oh, all nice. these are on, awesome. on our list and things that we're already doing. Um, right. you know, when many of my competitors are, are not really competitors, I guess other vertical farms, because the real competition for us is, is actually outdoor farms that's sure. not sustainable. So other of my peers are doing, you know, berries and you see some strawberries coming up from hydroponic indoor farms. That's great. So yeah, very cool. We will get more, um, more progress for sure. Well, I see a future lobbyist in you, Zane, because you can really push this and make an impact. Yeah, I'm like ready to invest, <laughs> make my money. <laughs> yeah, I bought into this. Okay, I have a question. Uh, you raised fifty freaking million dollars. That is incredible. Can you talk about that? But maybe talk about the fundraising in general. You said you went to your family. Like, just yeah. talk a little bit about that. We'd love to hear it. So, so you know not most people who get into business don't do it because they like raising money. Um, and, and that's just, you know, it's something that you have to do though, no matter what your entrepreneurial role is, you're going to have to raise money because it takes some capital to make your business work. Yeah. Um, so um, it's one of those things where at least if you're raising money though, you're, you're able to give people a stake in the business and, and hope that, you know, one day it pays off for them. So first I went to friends and family that was, it's for, not for the faint of heart, you know, people who really um, have loved you and are close to you, they believe in you and they will, they will, they will try to contribute whatever they can. Mm -hmm. Despite me saying, Hey, we could lose all of this. Like, I don't know if it's going to work, but we're going to try. And I was really transparent. I never want to take people's money when like, you know, they need that money or they need something back. Yeah. and so we, we did that um, and we got the friends and family money in, um, you know, that's tough. I'm not going to lie. It's tough taking friends and family money because then you see people on the holidays, like, Hey, how's that going? Um, they're like, where's, they're like, where's like, my return? Um... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just spent that on like, you know, <laughs> I had to, I rented a van. I'm yeah, sorry. exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, you, and then we have ups and downs too. And one of the biggest things that we did is we were really transparent with our investors about everything. Um, really hard to do, really hard to do. And of course you need to be uh, a little political. You need to be a little bit of a, you know, you have to be a CEO, not, I'm not saying positive spin or a lie. I'm saying like, you got to state 
with the vision with the vision in mind what happened mm -hmm. and how you're moving forward from it it's not just hey um our crop just completely failed and we have no idea what's going on it's okay we had this we had this failure um and we've learned this thing and we're working on this solution and that'll get us to the next step you know you so need you're to very be, open about it yeah open and proactive it's not just share the dirty laundry and that's it it's like sharing the pros and the cons and the path forward and people know that you're going to work hard on it because you have the path forward so yeah um and you know that's that's i think what built a lot of trust with people and we continue to raise money that way but at a certain point in time you know we had raised i think five million dollars and we used that across um the first six six years of our business which is pretty lean i think for a business yeah. that was able to do what we were able to do and we had a lot of cool scientific development, um, a lot of progress and a lot of capital invested in, in equipment. Um, but to do a large farm, we were going to need big money. And, um, you know, some people might not say this is big money for me. It was huge. Like we had to go out for 50 million. And that was a process. You know, we, we started that process um, uh, at the beginning of COVID, uh, right before wow. COVID. So it was like... Um, at the end of 2019 and we we're going out and we thought we had lined up a deal and then uh covid broke out everything got called off the whole world changed so um so we had to grind it out um we figured out a way to boost our sales to boost our yield to get by we got some ppp money from the government you know things like that always good yeah yeah it was really helpful and then um we also recognized our blind spots and you know while we had someone involved with the team from early on who was a finance guy and had really helped with our modeling and able to make a good pitch and show our value and really have a good financial model and projections, we weren't really that connected with like super wealthy people with funds. Mm. And so one of my colleague's friends, one of, one of this finance person's friends was working for an investment bank and we connected with them and they were representing us and helping us to connect with big investors. And we ended up having like several large investors in the mix in 2021 um, when we started closing in on this deal. And so we went back out in early 2021 uh, last year. And um, by the middle of the year, we had three, three term sheets that were pretty solid. Um, and so within like two or three months of talking to those people, we had some solid term sheets and then we progressed to um, exclusivity on the deal in, in the later part of the year. So it was, it was exciting, but a long process and the, the due diligence process for this, for a deal this size, at least for what we went through, it was a lot because yeah, it's I something new with the industry people don't understand. Right. And there's like, you're not making money yet. So to, they, everyone wants right. to that. Can you really grow these plants? And the thing yeah. that we said was come in and look at it. Even if you want to stand in the right. farm, like we can show you. Yeah, just stand and watch this plant for two weeks, and it'll be the size that we're we're saying it'll be. And you know, we were able to show that, and uh, that's how we ended up getting the rest of the pitches. You know, I that's I'm great. really passionate about this stuff, as you guys can tell. So I was just, I was just telling the story and telling what the impact was and where we needed to go. And people understand this is where we need to go. So it's important to you know invest in the future of farming. Yeah, that's great. And I feel like transparency is so key. Like, yeah, come check it out, see it happen. I mean, we've all heard about the stories of businesses that can't show what they're doing and it's, you know, it's 
not good sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm, I'm a rambler. So I no, we yeah. love this. I mean, no, 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 I'm learning so much. We were, I was just thinking, I was like, we need to bring him back. Cause we literally have so many questions for you that we're not going to get to because <laughs> we just don't have time. Um, but I'm just so like, this is so interesting. So Thank I'm, you. I'm glad you're expanding on it. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your team? So obviously it was you and one other person that really kind of got it started in the beginning. And then at what point did you grow and how did you grow? Like, did you have a strategic way of choosing team members that were going to be passionate about this or invested in, in your company as well? Oh man, that's a long story. That's a long one. So I'm going to try to be <laughs> short. Um, so we, um, so myself and my co-founder, we were friends from college. So we knew each other from, from university of Southern California. Nice. Um, and we'd also been on a dance team together. So we had that experience of like, you know, knowing how we work right. together kind of in a group project situation. Um, we got uh, another friend involved, just like we were friends and she was really talented in, uh, from a design and architecture perspective. So she was the one who came on, help us build our logo, help us actually design our first warehouse like that we, we set up ourselves. That was huge. So through, through our network, through our friends, I guess, and, and we had another friend from college who kind of joined on the finance side and he wrote, roped in his brother to kind of help with financial modeling. Um, and then other people, it was kind of crazy. We would just be out like talking about our business and people would gravitate to us. So I actually went to, for example, one story was I went to the University of Houston to try to talk to their microbiology department because I was really interested in root zone microbiology and if they had any mm. experts in the microorganisms that interact with plants at the root zone. And wow. I, I was talking with them about it and someone in the other room overheard me. And he emailed me later and he said, hey, I'm actually an expert in root zone microbiology. Can I come to your farm? He's our wow. VP of research now. You know, no like he, way. Yeah, so Love that. Yeah. So he just happened to be there. And it's like you, you go and you have these conversations and you're talking, you're trying to find, find the help that you need and, and being proactive and, and you end up finding people. So uh, other things we did post online for, like, and people who ended up, I'll say the other thing about that we had folks who joined our farm uh, as kind of hourly farm workers doing what we were doing, seeding, planting, harvesting, um, uh, labeling, packaging, all that stuff. And uh, one of those people, you know, a bunch of people who joined us had plant science backgrounds. They're very excited about plants, but, you know, um, they wanted to come in at the ground level and grow with us. And one of those people, she's our head grower. She's now our director of horticulture, super experienced. Wow. Love it. Yeah, through our That's business. Cool. So, How many um, people are on your team now, total? We have um, 30 people. Nice. Wow. Well, I feel like with a, an impact, a, a mission as strong as yours, it's... I don't want to say easier, but it's, it, it's, it's sort of easier to like filter out the people that just naturally gravitate towards this passion because it's such, you know, it's so mission driven. And I think it's the same, like I run a nonprofit too, and it, it's really people come to you if they're passionate about it. So it's kind of a different type of relationship with your, with your team and, and your colleagues. I, I, I'd agree with that. And I think also you have to, you have to also, although you have a mission driven thing, you have to also be out there talking about it. I think yeah. you have to be connecting yeah. with people so that people know, oh, wait, I can jump into that. Right. Like, I can get involved. That sounds cool. The awareness um, is key. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, what advice do you have uh, for young entrepreneurs 
starting out or just new entrepreneurs in general? Oh man, you gotta be humble. I know that's just like sounds that's so cliche, but like you gotta be willing to ask all the questions and act like you don't know anything. And it's like you can't have any pride. I, I think if pride will get in the way of you at every turn. I mm. think I've had pride be a problem with um, interactions with, with my team. You know, as our business grew, you know, I started moving into more of a traditional type CEO role and I, I was robbing people the wrong way in my interactions. I had to put my pride to the, through the floor and mm. say, what am, help me, help me do better. How yeah. can I learn better? Uh, and and what, what can I do better? What do I not know? So that's my biggest advice. I love that. That's love so that. critical. Yeah. I mean, people just get themselves in a bind when they're like, I already know that I already know, you know, and then they don't need to, they don't look into it more. Um, and then the question we ask all of our guests is whether you believe entrepreneurs are born or bred, can you become an entrepreneur or are you born this way? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where you definitely can be bred but you have to be really passionate about about what you're doing I think it's like you know lots of us walk around and probably see things and like oh that could be business and that could be business but you know you know I thought of a chicken and rice bowl business the other day and then I was like do I really am I passionate do I want to be <laughs> like setting up a chicken and rice business like is that my passion and I think if you're really driven you know you're going to figure it out because you're driven to figure it out. Um, you're like, okay, I really care about this. I think it has a place. I think people really are going to love this product, this service. It's going to make a difference. Okay. I'll do whatever it takes. I will learn. I will, you know, you just have to have the mentality of learning. So yeah. as long as you're open to learning, um, I think you, anyone can be successful. Wow. Okay. Matt, I'm inspired. Me too. Uh, Zane, uh, we hope you come back because we literally could probably do two more episodes <laughs> like this. We have, yeah, I have so many more. Yeah, and like diving into like exactly uh, the the how process and how it works and the farming and yeah. So where can people find you? And how do I get one of those shirts? Because I want one. <laughs> so, um, uh, if you go to dreamharvestfarms.com, uh, you can find our. Uh, a little bit more about our company. And if you scroll to the bottom of the page, there's a t-shirt link and you can click there and all of our shirts are available through that link. Um, we actually don't mass produce and sell shirts. We, they're each custom printed. So if you, we charge no, we don't make any money off the shirts, basically. It's it's the uh, Threadless is the company we use and they just print them and whoever wants whatever. Okay, so I'm get. not supporting you by buying one, but I still want one. From a marketing perspective. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's why we do that. And then, um, and then, you know, I, uh, guys, I could use some advice on this. I'm really bad at social media. I just, I don't know if I haven't put enough time into or what, but yeah, I, I have a Twitter. I don't know when the last time I tweeted was. When I was a journalist, <laughs> I was really good. So, you know. That's yeah, awesome. you kind of have to be when you're a journalist. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay. I, open to tips. Uh, yeah. So tweet me some tips on being better at social media. I LinkedIn. Guess yeah. yeah. We'll share your website and everything. Um, well, thank you so much. This was yeah, this incredibly was amazing. informative. Yeah. I'm like, you need to have all your firms here in California too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you guys for this. It was fun for me to talk with, with you all because I think when I get questions, it, I, a lot of people aren't really focused on the types of questions that you ask about 
what's important in, in, a, in starting a business and making a difference. And mm-hmm. I, I'm really passionate about that. And I've just seen a lot of people um, try to start businesses or get into careers even that, that weren't really interested in, in learning and thought they mm-hmm. had all the answers. And I think that I've just seen it be such a danger for folks. And, and yeah. I, I guess that when we started talking about it, I got amped about it because that's so important. You know, you have to be able to learn and try to try to see what other people are doing well and learn from that. And I've seen so much t- potential just squandered from people just, yeah, I think they got all the answers. Thinking so. they know it all. Yeah, it's true. Well, your passion just emanates from the screen. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that with our listeners. And yeah. yes, we'll definitely need to have you back. For sure. And we know we don't know it all. That's why we bring you on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thank you. All right. All right. Take care. Thanks, Zane. Take thank care. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye. Really appreciate it. Bye. Wow. <laughs> I, mean... I love that it's just a wow. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way, dude. Like that was amazing. I'm so inspired and I wish he was here. Like, so I could buy his stuff too. I know like here, like California. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll definitely have to bring him back because I feel like he has so many unique things to share about social entrepreneurship, making an impact while also making a profit, you know, girl, we say that about all of our guests, but we really need to bring him back. It's true. Okay. Well, if the response is good, you know, you listeners out there, tell us if you want to back. (laughs) Yeah. Would love it. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye everyone. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the 40 under 40 podcast with Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode.